welcome to another episode of Wolf Disney. I'm Sarah. And I'm Natalie. And we are Wolf Disney, the Wolf Sisters. We are two sisters who grew up with very little Disney exposure. Um, and we are slowly, during this pandemic time, making our way movie by movie, movie, by movie through the Disney catalog. It's been a wild journey. Um, we took a brief break last week to go to Disneyland. Uh, through the eyes of our family members. If you haven't listened to that episode, check it out. Um, we're back to Disney movies this week with Sleeping Beauty. Yeah. Also, we should say that normally we record these at night. Um, and because of our schedule this weekend, we are recording in the morning and um, the coffee is not fully kicked in for all of us yet. So, um, if you were, if, if, um, okay, let's say, uh, Harry and Megan have another baby. Um, and these are the royalty people, but they're not really, they're not really royal anymore, but they're kind of like quasi royal adjacent. Um, if, uh, if they have another baby and they call you fairy Natalie to come and bless the baby, um, what, what three things would you give that baby? Um, well, did you read Mary Ness this week? Mm-mm. Okay. Because um, Mary Ness had some ideas of what um, they should have given a princess. Um, and one of them that I liked was um, good hand-foot, hand-eye hand coordination. Hand-foot. Yes. Is it both? Hand-eye. Hand yeah. Give them I guess if you're playing soccer, which is very popular in countries other than the United States, you do want foot eye coordination. Yeah, so I'd give her good hand eye coordination. I think I would I would give them um, the ability to always uh, be able to put batteries in the remote correctly without having to slam it against their hand to get the batteries back out the first time because they didn't double check the ends. Okay. I had a little adventure last night trying to get batteries out of the remote wow. so it's sticking fresh in my memory. Okay. Um, I didn't know if you were like taking a jab at somebody else or at yourself. So just you myself, okay. just still reliving that moment. Um, I would give them, um, good memory and, um, attention to detail to things such as like turning the oven off after you're done using it, things like that. Good, good. If the baby has curly hair, I would bless them with the ability to not have humidity affect um, the frizziness of their hair. And I would make sure I was around when they were um, like in middle school and their curls came back. Oh um, yeah. Teach them how to do the curls. Right. right. Um, my third gift would be stamps, to always have stamps and with her, you know, cause I've kind of had a mail-in ballot just sitting on our coffee table for a long time now. Well, to be fair, my roommate gave me a stamp. Yes, you have stamps. I see them. Yeah. Um, my roommate did give me a stamp, which was very nice, but now I, uh, we don't really have like an outgoing mailbox. So that's my next. <laughs> I would give them energy to go to the post office. I don't know why that's the hardest task for me, but yeah. it's so difficult for me to literally drive up to a mail drop box. Um, yes. The past two years, I've been in a... Christmas gift exchange with other single clergy women. And I'm like real quick, I'm buying the gift for my person. And then it just sits in my car as I drive past the post office. I drive past the post office to get to work. Yeah. Like, no, today's not feeling like it's a good day to go there. Um, support what? the post office though. What? But support the post office. Oh, for sure. Yes. The Wolf Sisters are not anti-post office. No. I feel like we should just be really clear about that. Very much pro post office. Yeah. In fact, um, in Stanton, our postal workers in many places just still walk to mm -hmm. walk their route and like walk our mail up to our to our front porches. Mm -hmm. And um, in the early days of the pandemic, every Saturday we would get croissants delivered and we would leave a tasty treat for our postal worker, um, which was often a very de delightful and de lovely uh, chocolate croissant. So cool. Look at you. My final gift humble for the baby. Brag. What? A humble brag. A humble brag. I'm just saying we support our postal workers. Yeah. Um, 
Um, my final gift for the world for the baby would be world peace. Okay. Cool. All right. So Sleeping Beauty, um, you researched the story. It did. Should we start with that? Yeah. Which story did you research? Oh my gosh. Yeah. There were a lot. Um, so if you remember our first episode, our first movie that we watched, that was Snow White. And um, we kind of went into a deep dive into the origins of fairy tales um, and talked a lot about the Grimm brothers, which are probably the, one of the more famous fairy tale people. Um, but also we mentioned Charles Perrault and he makes an appearance um, in Sleeping Beauty also. Um, the important thing to remember for these really old stories is that they are really old and that a lot of them are originated as um, oral folk tales. And so they were told throughout the generations, um, you know, to families would share these stories and keep sharing these stories. And then it was actually, you know, Charles Perrault and the grandmothers who wrote them down, who collected these stories. And so you'll see that there are different variants within the stories. Um, especially in Europe, you know, there's like an Italian version and a French version and a German version. But then like for Sleeping Beauty, there's also an Icelandic version, which they think um, was actually separate from the Sleeping Beauty tradition as we know it. It's just, it's like how every culture has a flood story um, that a lot of, a lot of cultures have the same kind of um, like Sleeping Beauty motif in their, in their folklore. Um, but today, let's see, we're talking about Sleeping Beauty. Um, the earliest known version of the story is the narrative Perseforest, um, and that was composed between 1330 and 1344. And then um, an Italian named Giambattista Basile um, collected that story and put it in his tales. And then after that, Charles Perrault comes in and, and reworks it a little bit. And then after that, the, br the brothers Grimm come in and they rework it. Um, I learned today that there is a folktale classification system, which was a fun little journey that I went on called the Arne Thompson classification system for folktales. Um, and Sleeping Beauty is a, is a 410 tail type. Um, those numbers? Yeah, those are numbers. So it sounds like it's a little bit like the, um, what is it called? The Library of Congress. The Dewey Decimal System? Dewey Decimal System, yes. It's like the Dewey Decimal System, but for fairy tales. Um, and so a 410 tail type uh, is a princess who is forced into an enchanted sleep and is later awakened, reversing the magic placed upon her. Uh, yeah, I mean, we've got two of those so far. Yes, I yes, think. we do. Yeah, like Snow White would also, I guess, be a 410. <laughs> it's your classic 410. Yeah, isn't it like a radio code? Like, we got, yeah. we got a 410? Yes, um, and actually, I it, it was an interesting... Um, I just think it's so fast. This, this system is so fascinating. It was first published in 1910 and like a lot of people have, um, you know, written their theses on, on this classific classification system and whether it works and all of that. Um, uh, things are divided by numbers, closely related folktales are grouped within a type. Um, so for example, tale types 400 to 424 all feature brides or wives as the primary protagonist. Um, so two uh, stories that would fall under, under that would be the quest for a lost bride and uh, the animal bride. Hmm. And the goose girl. <laughs> the goose girl, yeah, would maybe be one of those. Yes, ma'am. So when you say 410, are you saying 410? Yes. Oh, okay. Like, do you think I'm saying like 4-10? Yeah, I thought that maybe like four and then a subcategory of 10 or something. No, um, so they do a number system, but then they add letters to it. Uh, and so then you have subtypes within <laughs> a tail type. 
So, um, so fi a 510 tail type is when you have a persecuted heroine, which like most of these stories are kind of persecuted. Um, and so um, it has a subtype of Cinderella because I think there are so many different versions of Cinderella. Maybe that's why you would do that. Um, so yeah, I thought that was a fun little side thing to go down. Um, I'm surprised it took so long for us to discover that. I know. I was like, where was this on the first episode? Um, yeah. Sorry, hold on. Um, subtypes, with, subtypes within a tail type are designated by the addition of a letter to the AT number. For instance, tail 510, persecuted heroine, has subtypes 510A, Cinderella, and 510B, cat skin. Oh. Uh-huh. Um, which if I have stilt skin. Catskin is an English fairy tale collected by Jacob Joseph Jacobs, but it doesn't tell me what it's about. It's similar to Cinderella. Um, so it says, as an example, the entry for the 510A in the ATU index with cross-references to motifs in Thompson's motif index of folk literature wow. in square brackets and variants in parentheses reads, 510. Cinderella, 510A Cinderella. A young woman is mistreated by her stepmother and stepsisters. So in brackets, which is the motif index of folk literature, S31 and L55, it just keeps going. It like goes through the entire story and it has all of these cross-referenced okay. uh, other folktale motifs. Okay, I was gonna say that, that was kind of difficult to follow. Um, yeah, sorry. So. Yeah, I won't Thank read you. the whole thing. But I'm just like, does somebody memorize this? Like, what a fun party trick. <laughs> yeah. You never learned that at app in your English lit classes? Uh, I did not. Um, I'm feeling a little bit like I missed out on some stuff. Um, so yeah, that is the classification system. Um, yeah, um, let's see. So like we discovered with Snow White, um, the earliest versions of these stories um, often look very similar to the version that we see in Disney, but often also have uh, darker elements to those stories. And so uh, Sleeping Beauty is no different from that. Um, and so I'm gonna be reading from an article in the Orlando Sentinel um titled original story of sleeping beauty would have terrified even Malef maleficent um so uh, i felt stupid because i didn't realize that there had been other sleeping beauty movies like with people in it um so this is like kind of this this article is uh talking about um how maleficent is the bad person in this movie but then like the original stories are actually worse than her. Um, so um, <laughs> this article says, <clears throat> consider some of the plot devices found in the original story of Sleeping Beauty in the days of our distant past. These are the plot devices. Adultery, bigamy, murder, ogress terror, the rape of a comatose woman, and even human cannibalism. Mm. Um, so with the exception of the ogress terror, um, I'm glad it didn't involve any of that other stuff. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, the, the Shrek preview would have been kind of cool. Um, but yeah, so, so basically this story, what, what are you thinking about? Well, now I'm thinking about Shrek because there's the dragon, mm -hmm. there's the sleeping princess, and there's the ogre. Is Shrek just sleeping but, beauty? Well, yeah, but the... The ogre is like the the mom, the stepmom or something. Yeah. Yeah. So that doesn't really track, but anyway. Um, so, uh, so this article walks through like the changes in the story as the different people we talked about earlier. Would have had different, never mind, never mind. 
So this article walks us through the original stories that we talked about earlier in this episode um, and the different changes that they added to it. Um, and so let's see. Um, so in the first, in the first earliest version, the first earliest, that's not a thing. In the earlier version by the Italian guy, Basile, um, he writes, his, his version is, the king's daughter's name is Talia. When she is born, wise men foretell her future and the great danger she would face from a splinter of flax, which confused me because a lot of the things I was reading said that she would prick her finger on flax. And I was like, isn't that just cloth? How do you prick your finger on cloth? But this actually helps me understand it better that flax is like a, it's a rough material. Um, and, and so what she ends up doing is she pricks her finger on a piece, on a splinter, like a piece of flax. And really it's, it's one of those horrible things when like a stick goes underneath your fingernail and that's, that's what happens. No. That's what happens, Natalie. Okay. Okay. Um, so the king orders that no flax or hemp should ever enter the castle. Um, yet after Talia grows up, she comes upon an old woman spinning the thread and a splinter under her fingernail causes her to fall dead. The king is beside himself with grief, grief and locks his daughter away in a castle and he abandons, that he abandons forever. Um, and so then the story kind of takes a turn, a change from what we're, what we're used to. Um, the, the daughter, the sleeping beauty person, Talia is not dead, she's asleep. Um, and a hunter comes um, after a hundred years and finds a princess and he is captivated by her beauty um but rather than kissing her he rapes her um and um she gets pregnant she has twins uh she gives birth to a boy and a girl um she one of the babies she is able to nurse um, but the other baby can't nurse and so it is forced to suck on the finger on her finger that was pierced Mm -hmm. um yeah so basically oh so this baby like sucks the blood out of her finger i know natalie <laughs> her finger has just been bleeding for a hundred years um no uh the splinter has been there and so uh the baby like sucks the splinter out of the fingernail and that revives talia from her from her slumber she wakes up because of that um but then she doesn't live happily ever after because the hunter, who is now a king apparently, um, comes back and he is really excited to see that um, the woman that he did a horrible thing to is awake and now he has twins and it's really exciting. Um, so now he has a new young mistress and two children and so he takes them back to his place. He is married and his wife uh, is not as happy with him about these new people. Um, and so she makes plans to draw the children and Talia out and have the king cook, the king's cook, kill them and serve them to the king to eat unknowingly. Um, and this is kind of, you know, if I were doing my motif cross-reference, um, this reminds me of the woodsman in Snow White. Yeah. So um, the cook can't do it. He puts it off as long as he can. And finally he kills a goat and serves that. Um, and then the king's wife eventually understands the, obedience, the disobedience in that she probably sees the mistress and the children and is like, well, what did uh, my husband eat? Um, and so then she prepares a boiling cauldron of poisonous snakes and other horrible creatures and readies to throw the cook, the kids, and Talia into the pot but then her husband arrives, and so the wife then jumps into the pot herself and boils alive. Um, so, yeah, that was the first version. Okay. The second version is by Peralt, and he waters it down a little bit. Um, he adds in a slighted fairy who issues a curse, which is where we start to see Maleficent coming in. Um, he adds in good fairies who bring gifts, mm -hmm. um, and, and he adds in the prince who awakens the princess with love's, uh, with love's first kiss or true love's true. kiss, whatever. I don't know, whatever. 
True Laws Kiss. What's that from? Is that from Enchanted? I, anyways. Um, yeah, and then the Grimm brothers took Peralt's version and even further watered it down and made it closer to what we see today. Um, and you'll see at the beginning of Sleeping Beauty in the movie, um, they say that they took part of it from Tchaikovsky's ballet also. And so Tchaikovsky started, helped to bring the story back into like mainstream culture um, when he composed that play or that ballet in the late 1850s or 1890s, I think. Um, But yeah. Um, And do you know in the newer or the Grimm, Grimm brothers or um, the other one, how Sleeping Beauty is like how her story ends. Yeah. So in the um, <clears throat> in the Peralt version, it there's as it's actually it's a story in two parts. And so the first part is Sleeping Beauty as we know it, but the second part is what happens after they get married. And um, and there's one version where um, um, oh, hold on. There's one version where after they get married, the um, they like go and live in the prince's kingdom, and like all these women from his past life start turning up at the castle. And Sleeping Beauty is like not happy to meet these women. Um, which is pretty understandable. Um, but there's, there is some thought that, um, that the stories that were recorded as two, as like part one, part two, that those are actually two completely separate fairy tales that um, like the Grimm brothers and Peralt brought back together or, or put together for the first time. So that second part about like meeting the other women and like the ogress queen mother, like his, that's like the evil stepmother motif shows up in that, that that's a completely separate story. Um, which is, I mean, the Sleeping Beauty, as we know it, part one is, is, is a good enough story on its own. You don't need, um, all this other stuff. Um, yeah, yeah. that's, uh, that's where the story comes from. It's, uh, you know, just again, I think it's really important that we remember that it is a 410 tail type. Right. And so from now on, every episode, you're going to tell us the classification of our story. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to memorize it. Just want to make sure. Today's my day off. So I'm going to spend the rest of the day with my flashcards and my RNA Thompson classification system for folk tales. Good. Good. I'm going to start sneaking in, into sermons too. <laughs> Um, cool. Well, um, is that it? I think so. I mean, I've got a lot of other stuff. (laughs) It's fine. Sleeping Beauty came out in 1959. Um, you don't know that? Well, I'm not particularly... Um, I did not know that. Not particularly. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, 1959 is four years after our last movie. So was Disney doing a bunch of like live action stuff that we decided not to watch? Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, so it came out in 1959 and they spent a long time working on it. Um, and a lot of that had to do with the animating Um this was the first movie they did um, in 70 millimeter film as opposed to 35 millimeter. I could tell. Yeah, which means that you needed more detail. Um, I even read somewhere that like, apparently there's stories of like um, moviegoers at the time, like feeling unwell, I guess from, it's, it's, uh, I think Mary Ness maybe was the one who, so this would essentially be like our like first time going to like the IMAX theater. That's wow. what the experience would have been like to see Sleeping Beauty in theaters. Um, Cause it was a new form of film. Um, and so, because I, I don't know, I know 70 milliliters is bigger than 35. So I guess I, I don't know, it's bigger. So they needed to draw more. Um, 
I mean, if you look at like stills, like of like the kingdom and stuff, or the palace, um, there are a lot of, a lot of details. Um, yeah. And almost all of the like backgrounds were hand painted by one of their animators, um, which Mary Ness said is like the equivalent of doing like 65 full like um, art pieces on your own um, just for this movie. Um, so they spent a lot of time on animation. Um, they also, Mary Ness talks a little bit about how um, with this new film, like also came this new like animating style for Disney, like the characters um, are no longer, with the exception of like the king, the other king and um, the fairies, um, you no longer see like, just like round, like people with little detail on them. Like the characters are pointed and have more like features to them, if that makes sense, because there's there's like a necessity of having more detail on them for it to look good with this new film style. So it's just like in general, more detail and um, care being put into the animations. So that's why it took so long. Yeah. I, I did notice the a difference between um, the princes, between yeah. Snow White and Sleeping Beauty. Yeah. I was just trying to remember back to like how horribly animated the <laughs> prince was uh, in Snow White and like the I mean I was comparing it with like the dance scene um when they first meet each other in the woods um yeah. and I was like whoa this is I mean it's been 20 years now um between the two movies but like whoa they've they've really improved things yeah I mean yeah Snow White and Sleeping Beauty have a lot of similar scenes I Mm -hmm. think um a lot of similar plot lines and scenes and details um and I yeah watching them back to back would definitely be an adventure um because they are very very different um looking I'm not doing that though okay um so um this was um also the first movie according to the internet, where Disney took a lot of liberties in changing the plot points and endings um, for a movie that was based on the fairy tale. Yeah, um, there is, in all the reading I did, like, there's no Sleeping Beauty going off and living with the, the fairy godmothers in the woods for 16 years. It's all, like, that she lived in the castle. They just got rid of all the flax or spinning wheels or spindles yeah. or whatever. Yeah, so, um, yeah, they're trying to come up with a story for this one, and um, it's titled Sleeping Beauty, but the employees and writers were like, well, Sleeping Beauty doesn't really do anything, she just sleeps the whole time, like, how do we create a plot around this woman, and so that's when they run the idea of it, really, it really follows the fairies and Maleficent more than, um, yes. Yeah, I when I was watching it, I was like, I think we used to have a cartoon version of Sleeping Beauty, but it was not Disney. Like it was, it was some like knockoff from the seventies. Um, and I remembered the thorny uh, forest growing around the castle, but I also remembered that she slept for a hundred years, and so I was trying to figure out while we were, while I was watching it last night, like. I'm pretty sure she sleeps for a hundred years and Philip is not in the castle. So how is he going to still be alive a hundred years from now? Like no. I was, I was kind of combining the two, the two movies, but really that other movie that we had was more faithful to the original story and that it is a, it, she does sleep for a hundred years and these other folk tales. Um, and, and Disney just has it be like, honestly, like an hour. Yeah. Yeah, it's just one day, her 16th birthday. Definitely not long enough to, like, grow twins and birth them. No. Um, Yeah, and so I think this would set a precedent for future movies of them taking a lot of liberty um, in their plot points. Um, um, You already mentioned Tchaikovsky, um, which I really liked the score in this movie. Um, It was very... It was easy for me to imagine a ballet happening as I listened to just the music. Um, And so at the time that ballet, Sleeping Beauty, was not copyrighted in the United States. 
Um, and so Disney actually saved a lot of money because he wouldn't have to hire a composer for it. So this is also the last Disney princess movie that happens while Walt Disney is alive. Yes? Yes, I know that. I was, um, I've been helping out at Trivia Night on Wednesday nights um, at my favorite local brewery. And the halftime question was, name the first four Disney princesses. And I was like, easy. I was like, done. Um, and so I had Snow White, Cinderella, Sleeping Beauty, but we don't get another Disney Little princess un until The Little Mermaid. Yeah. Like that's in like 1991. Um, yeah. I think, I mean, I, or 92. Um, but I mean, I was just, I, I was like blanking on the fourth princess because I thought there's no way it's a little mermaid. There's no way we don't get another princess until then. I mean, Disney's known for its princesses. Yeah. But yeah. Um, yeah. Which like, and those three princesses don't have a lot of personality or things to work off of. So that's true. Um, um, but then I also got to explain my Disney princess glove theory. <laughs> Remember that one? And it confused other people too. So <laughs> not just you. Um, well, so this was a box office flop. Really? Uh, yeah. They also spent a lot of money on it because um, of how much time it took and because of the animation. Um, and so um, this movie would impact decisions in the future for Disney. Um, these are the ones that Mary Ness lays out. Um, from that point on, Disney would slow down on animated films because they cost so much to make, which is why we're about to, like we have been and are about to embark in a lot more um, live action movies. Cause I guess they're shockingly cheaper to make. I would have thought the opposite, but. I guess time is an issue. Yeah. It just takes a long time to make the animated. Yeah. Like you don't have to pay the actors, but you also have to like hand draw. I guess you are paying voice actors, but yeah, yeah, but you don't pay them nearly. I mean, especially from what we've seen from the earlier movies, like sometimes they didn't even get credit for yeah. what they were doing. Um, they would um, retreat from doing movies on fairy tales and they would take away their focus on funny animals being in their plot points, which I mean, I think that's a grave mistake they've made. Yeah. Um, but Mary Ness says that this changes after The Black Cauldron, which a lot of people have referenced as, like, a movie that they're excited for us to watch, because apparently it's... I've never heard of it. It's really bad. Um, bad? Yeah. Oh, nice. Like, it's yeah. so bad it's good? I think maybe. I don't know. Um, like, is it, like, the room of Disney movies? I don't know. Um, and so I think maybe... And so for some reason, Mary Ness names that one as, like, the turning point of when they go back to funny animals um which she like alludes to the little mermaid um having so many good like animal vibe characters i don't know y'all can email us if you want to explain this black cauldron thing or you can just let us yeah um, pull upon it it'd be good to be maybe surprised yeah um and they also <laughs> just like stopped focusing and started avoiding um, these detailed hand-painted backgrounds um, because it was taking so much time. And so they would kind of um, slow down on that until computer animation caught up um, for it to be financially feasible for them to do again. Yes? Um, I, with the, the hand-drawn backgrounds, there was there's one scene, especially for me, with, um, it's really random, but th there's a squirrel like when they're waking up all the animals and the squirrel is in a tree and then he wakes up the owl. Um, the tree was so well done that I was like, this almost looks like a cartoon on top of a, like a, like not a photograph. It didn't look like a photograph of a tree, but it was like the detailed and the detail in the tree looked like it was done better than the characters, if that makes sense. Like, it almost looked like not 3D, but I'm not doing a good job of describing this, but like it looked like a different style of animation than the other characters. And I just can't imagine how long it took to draw that tree. I mean, that's just one little like 10 second clip. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. And <sighs> you just described a tree for a minute. Okay. 
they did a really good job. All right, so we'll post a picture of the tree on our Facebook Wolf Disney pod. The question I had um, while watching this um, because of this podcast journey we're on um, was, wait a minute, Disneyland's Castle of Sleeping Beauty castle and that came out in 1955 and this movie came out in 1959 what's that about um which in my head I was like I can see how that would be like um a move for like marketing the movie ahead of time but like would that matter to kids to like go see Sleeping Beauty's castle if they have no concept of who this is um because I yeah after like reading about the animation I was like okay so it's definitely possible and that the animation and work was already happening for Sleeping Beauty in 1955. Um, So it was not initially designed with Aurora in mind. Um, In early planning and written material, it is designated as the Medieval Castle and then Fantasyland Castle and even Robin Hood Castle. Um, Which is even later. Which, yeah, is also not. um, Mm, That's weird. Yeah. Yeah. Um, wherever possible, Disney linked an attraction to a film, especially an animated film, when planning Disneyland. Um, during an early episode of Walt's weekly ABC television show, he suggested that the castle would belong to Snow White, but the decision was eventually made to name the construction to name the construction after the upcoming Sleeping Beauty film. As the movie itself would not be released until 1959, it's arguably it's arguable that Walt's decision to bring it to public consciousness four years prior was nothing short of smart marketing. Which I think it's true. It's a cool looking castle. Yeah, I was um, <clears throat> when when we were talking with Uncle Jerry and Eva, I was like, they mentioned that it was Sleeping Beauty's castle. <laughs> I was like, I thought it was Cinderella's castle. Like that's Disney World is Cinderella's castle, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, but I was just like, it just seems so strange to me because I never think about Sleeping Beauty's castle. Um, but now I guess you do. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess like now that we've seen Sleeping Beauty recently and Cinderella recently, do you remember her castle? It's one that's like in the sky and shiny and like doesn't have any detail. There's no detail to it. <laughs> Whereas, yeah, Sleeping Beauty's is really, it's a really pretty castle. I guess I just assumed that they were both Cinderella's castle. Like, yeah. In my head, Disney World and Disneyland are the exact same place, um, which, which I know not. now. Mm-hmm. I know now that they're not, um, but I just assumed that they also had a Cinderella's castle. Um, so for my research, I when I was reading Mary Ness's article, um, she alludes to one of her coworkers' articles in Sleeping Beauty, um, who makes an argument that hold on, what's the title of the article that right in my head or huh okay um that her article is titled how sleeping beauty is accidentally the most feminist animated movie disney ever made Ooh. um and so here is her argument which mary ness um comments on it and she agrees with her coworker, um but adds that she would argue that it wasn't accidental okay yeah can you can you don't say it yet and see if i can figure out what it is sure is it partly that women raise her um that she finds her own true love instead of being married off to a prince that she was engaged to and that uh she wears a blue dress that's all um not quite. Um, so in order to answer, in order to start the argument, um, she begins with the question of who actually is the protagonist in this movie mm. um, and argues from the start that it's neither Sleeping Beauty nor Prince Philip. Um, Sleeping Beauty doesn't do anything. She has no agency and is simply an object. Um, she's acted upon. Um, she doesn't do much of anything, which I agree with. Um, and Prince Philip could be labeled protagonist, but he is only the hero because of the help of the fairies. Mm-hmm. The protagonist hero's main characters are the three good fairies. With a special focus on Meriwether, because she is my favorite. Yeah. Um, 
And she even, um, this is a quote from her, they are the ones who act with agency to counteract their antagonist and enemy Maleficent, who it must be noted is also female and also the only other character in the film whose decisions and actions drive the plot. And she's a homeowner. Which it's the 1300s. And like the CEO of whatever business she's running in that home. Yep. Um, the good fairies are just about the only characters in the film who grow as people in the course of the story, who are different at the end of the story than they are at the beginning, and who the audience identifies with and roots for as people rather than the stereotypical idealized non-entities Aurora and Philip are, who are trained to, who we are trained to root for by default. Um, I think Mary Ness, I think, is the one who also um, pulls out the point of like the whole story arc of the fairies of them um taking away like their wands and powers to like go and be um women who uh well, i can't think of the word for this um independent women no not like no like not housewives but um domestic sorry um so mary ness also adds to this argument the whole um, plot of the fairies giving up their powers and wands and wings um, to be kind of these peasant women who are who are domestic laborers essentially, um, and they're not good at it. Clearly, um, it's been sixteen years, and and uh, the green one doesn't uh, fauna doesn't know what a teaspoon is. <laughs> Yeah, Mary, Mary Ness said, this scene kind of makes me wonder what exactly that they've been doing for the past 16 years. Dressmaking skills take some time to develop and I wouldn't expect any of them to be expert pastry chefs, but still they should be better than this. As hilarious as the scene is, and I'm a little worried about Mary Weather's observation, 16 years in protecting Aurora that Fauna has never cooked. Who exactly is cooking the meals in this cottage? Let's hope Meriwether or Flora, especially since Fauna's idea of cooking involves folding in eggs with the shell still on. Um, so Mary Ness um, pulls out the fact that like the fairies get their strength and they are heroes when they um, realize that they are not meant to be staying at home cleaning a cottage. They are meant to be um, out there uh, slaying a dragon, essentially. Um, so that's also kind of a point of feminism for Mary. Um, we're calling her Mary now because we're like just that Mary Ness, yeah. Um, and um, so her, so I should probably name her friend um, or her coworker or whatever, colleague. Um, so this, her name is Sophie, nope, her name is Lee Butler. Um, so Lee Butler also identifies what makes a movie a feminist movie. She contrasts it to Mulan with that. Um, which she says is a great story about um, being a woman in a man's world, but Mulan is the only woman who matters in the movie, and she's a woman who is a hero, where the fairies are heroes who just happen to be women. Um, making something feminist doesn't necessarily mean making a film where there is a strong female character, which is great, but too often ends up meaning that she's essentially a male character with boobs, but making a story where the male characters matter, who are the ones who are the ones we identify with who drive the story instead of being driven by it. Cool. Yeah. I agree. I like it. Yeah, especially because, yeah, uh, Sleeping Beauty was one of my favorite Disney movies growing up. It's only because it's one of the few that we had on VHS. Our grandmommy had it. Okay. We did not have it. Um, but I remember watching it re uh, on repeat in her house on weekends whenever we went. Um, don't know why that you know she had other stuff there too right like, yeah um but I also like knew like as a teenager realizing what that movie was I never knew like what the appeal was for me or why anybody latched onto this movie when all she does is sleep um doesn't really have a personality as far as I could tell um and so it was interesting to read an art argument of how the movie like it, it just by hearing the story alone I think people would immediately um decide that it's not, there's no feminist qualities to it, um, mm -hmm. just based on Aurora, which is true, but 
um, if you start with this, who the protagonist actually is. Um, I think I made a good argument for how Aurora could be a feminist. I didn't, I made a horrible argument. So. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's the feminism found in Sleeping Beauty. Oh, I like um, it. Yeah, and this, the uh, Lee Butler, um, then her essay ends with talking about it. She, I think she read it when Maleficent, the movie came out um like five years ago maybe um and um apparently which i think that will be one of our movies because it did go to theaters um oh good um she um she pulls maleficent into that feminist argument as well because it sounds like wicked where maleficent has is given a backstory yeah um, even if she is bad like it gives a woman a reason to be to be acting um and that's outside of just like a male love interest well yeah and if i mean if you look we've been comparing this movie a lot to snow white today the motivation behind um the evil queen in snow white is just beauty and wanting to be the fairest in all the land and it's purely based on jealousy of another woman um and maleficent's She's just mad because she wasn't invited to the party, you know? I mean, it, it sounds like she's got some other stuff going on, too. There's a little bit of, like, a satanic ritual I think we see at some point. Um, but, like, she's she's just pissed, and like, <laughs> I like it. Yeah. Um, she's, uh, Lee Butler says that in Maleficent, um, the movie, she references the, uh, what's the test? The, uh... Bechtel? what the Bechdel test Bechdel test yeah she references the Bechdel test for Sleeping Beauty which it passes which is the one of like are there female characters that have conversations that are not solely about men men yeah um and <laughs> apparently in Maleficent she says it um fails the test but an opposite manner of that the only conversations men have in that movie are about women um, she was like, find me another like movie in Hollywood that does that. <laughs> like that's that's feminism for me. Uh, but anyway, yeah. So yeah, so, uh, Sleeping Beauty is not my favorite. Well, I don't want to give it away, but um, mm -hmm. those two, the two essays by those women um, helped me appreciate it and helped me like understand more of why this why it was an enjoyable movie. Um, yeah. Cause it wasn't awful. No, not by any means. Yeah. I hate it. Yeah. Um, so uh, reactions to mm -hmm. the movie. Um, I loved, loved the good fairies. Yeah. Um, really, really loved them. You know, the gifts that they give her, which we did our icebreaker on at first, it was like, you know, I guess if there wasn't a Maleficent, um, and who knows what Mary Weather was planning on giving her, like her gifts were beauty and song, like it would have been a lame movie. It would have been another Snow White where it's all about the princess finding her prince and like that's all we care about um, is joining the two kingdoms together and that kind of stuff. Right. Um, so I mean, it's almost good that Maleficent <laughs> came in because um, I would have hated that movie. Um, but yeah um after maleficent comes in and gives her gift um and meriwether then does her like kind of reverse curse thing as best she can uh, one of the things i read was talking about like in the see that the peralt version or the brothers Grimm version they add the fairies in um and that there's like six fairies actually and that the last one who's meriwether in, in the movie is the lilac fairy and she is the most powerful fairy. And I was like, oh, I like that about Meriwether because she's like kind of dumpy in the movie, um, but she's the smartest and has like the most like gumption and I just love her. Yeah. Um, but they're like having this conversation about how to further protect um, Aurora from this like spinning wheel thing, sleeping or uh, spindle thing. And um, one of them says, I'll turn her into a flower. And another one's like, yes, flowers don't have any fingers. 
And then the, they're like, well, and then Maleficent will send a frost in. And then one of them says like, oh yeah, she always ruins your flowers. So I was like, is Maleficent in charge of weather? Um, and we're just going to ignore that thing. But it made me think like flowers haven't got any fingers. I'm like, why not just cut off her hands? <laughs> like if she doesn't have hands. I'm, I'm shocked that was not like a part of one of the original fairy tales. I know. Just so they cut off her hands. Yeah. Um, I <laughs> just thought, um, yeah, also, uh, the movie gave a preview to one of our, one of our favorite Disney movies. Enchanted. No. Emperor's New Groove. Uh-huh. Hold on. Um, wait, what was your, how, what, what did you, how did the start? It gave us like a preview of, of something in that movie. Um, I don't know. Maleficent's army and Yzma's army. <laughs> the, um, I've been turned into a cow. Yeah. <laughs> it's like almost the same army. It's just yeah. sillier in Emperor's New Groove. So I love that. Um, I also love that for 16 years, her army was looking for a baby. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. I... Yeah. Um, I also one just going back to her like christening scene, I think I think it's necessary to note that it is just strange to bring this seven-year-old boy um to see this baby and say, like, here's your bride. Yeah. Um and also Maleficent, like I just wrote it's a truly wild curse or way to go about this, um, is to just because I had a lot of questions um, um, about what story the kingdom was like told in the meantime, because um, they all saw or heard about Maleficent showing up and birthing yeah. us, and they heard Meriwether's gift, um, but it was unclear if they knew that. I mean, I don't think they would have known that she was in a cottage because then Maleficent would have found out, so I don't know if they just thought she'd been or had been just like locked away in the castle to be safe for 16 years or so it's also like frozen yeah 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 I guess so um but anyway that was my question yeah that's a good question because yeah because I was the 16th birthday party yeah I was like what they're obviously all in on something. Like they all know that 16 is this big, like, and, they, and they're like, the sun has set, you know, like they're, they're waiting for this moment. Yeah. The princess will be officially safe. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. Um, and the, um, we already kind of talked about this scene, but the scene where they're making the cake and the, um, the dress for her birthday um, there was another great scene that reminded me of Schitt's Creek. Hmm. Do you know what it is? No. Oh man, it's like the best scene. Um, uh, Fauna is making the cake and she's reading the recipe book and it says fold in the eggs. <laughs> it's like fold in the cheese. You fold it in. You fold in the cheese. Um, <laughs> it's just like. Moira cooking. Yeah, this is great. It says Moira and um, what's his face? Um, David cooking. Yeah, fold in the cheese, fold in the eggs. And she's like just as clueless as Moira and David are. Um, um, the birthday prep scene. Um, I watched, my roommate Aaron watched this with me like off and on. We were both like doing stuff around the apartment. Um, that's not necessary information, but um, <laughs> we were watching this together, and um, this and Meriwether and Flora have their little argument over if the dress is going to be pink or blue. Um, and in the end, when she puts it on, it's blue. Which then I was like, I've always pictured it being pink, and Aaron was like, Yeah, me too. And I was like, Is this like a? Is the dress? black and blue or <laughs> gold and whatever like is that yeah. what this is like do we have what's that thing where everybody has a false 
memory of a movie oh, the Mandela yeah yeah I was like yeah. I, have I fooled myself um yeah which then in the end you like see like that happens again of it switching like she's like dancing off into the sky or whatever um and it's switching from blue and pink so then I like googled because I was like well I think like definitely like little kids costumes like and that's probably what I'm getting the color from but even then you can find blue and pink sleeping beauty dresses oh really um yeah but in the end we looked up the like official Disney princess like photographs of like all them together and the dress is pink pink yeah um but it's a confusing I don't know it confused me but I think she can't be uh, blue because you're pretty, if you put all of them together, you're going to have Cinderella and Snow White and they might not be um, obvious, like, variety. Um, yep. You might confuse the two. Except for the glove theory. Okay. Do you remember that? Um, I, uh, I just... Uh, looked up, I meant to do this earlier, but I looked up what scumps means. Me too. <laughs> Champagne. Yeah. Did you find the Reddit art- article? It was on Reddit, yeah. Yep. Scumpa means champagne in Swedish. Yes. I was like, scumps? Because I mean, I always watch with the captions on. And so, I mean, who knows what I thought it meant when I watched it as a kid. Um, just a weird song, but um, yeah, I enjoyed that scene, but I thought it was weird. <laughs> yeah. Like, and now we're going to have, I mean, it just seems like Disney in a lot of these movies is like, hmm, we need somebody to get drunk. Like, and hiccup a lot. And hiccup a lot. Like, that's really important for us. And so you have this, like, troubadour minstrel who's, like, um, getting drunk off the 16-year-old wine and, like, passes out under the table. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's, like, wire on his head. Yeah, it just seems, uh, loot. Loot. The liar's like a harp. Okay. Um, but anyways, yeah, it felt unnecessary. <laughs> um, that might have been them trying to fill time. Yeah, I think it might have been. Um, I loved, I, we already said this, but I loved the fairy godmothers except for when they leave her alone in the castle like yeah and like time women like it's not a safe time to leave her by her like literally all you had to wait was 10 minutes and you were like well she's really sad so we'll leave her alone in this room yeah and they like come back to her when she's getting like entranced up a stairwell and the like little the fireplace wall closes shut and it takes them I mean I get they haven't used magic in years like that's why I'm attributing this to but it takes them way too long to be like all right I can wave my wand and this wall opens back up Uh, it also took them way too long to remember that they could fly because like they're like first they're like running up the stairs I'm like ladies you have wings like (laughs) And magical powers use them yeah that's why everyone's kept you around um because otherwise you are useless <laughs> as we see in your cooking skills um but yeah that was my only time where i was like these women should probably not be responsible um for raising this person oh i also liked after they make everyone fall asleep that they turn out all the lights I felt like that was really responsible um, for the fairies because everything is candles and the last thing you want to do is be asleep for a hundred years and wake up and everything's burned down around you. It's true. Including probably yourself. Yeah, right. Um, I just can't, I don't, I was watching this and I don't know how this was not the most frightening thing I had seen in my life um, when I was little. Yeah. It was pretty scary towards the end. Like, uh, when the prince is at the Forbidden Mountain um, with Maleficent, she's, like, she unleashes, in her words, all the powers of hell. And, like, as a kid who was terrified of, like, not the devil, but, like, 
definitely of like evil and wrong stuff like that. I think if I had been paying attention to the words, that would have really scared me. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it does look like they're doing some weird satanic like ritual dance thing. With fire Uh, and stuff? Yeah. Uh, Whoever did that part of the storyboard. (laughs) I also, uh, I think the scariest scene for me um, is the one where she is just following the green orb of light or whatever um, up the stairs and just looks lifeless in her face. Hypnotized. Yeah. Yeah. That was really scary for me. Yeah, um, I didn't love that. This week. Yeah. I did not love that. Um, But I was glad that it had a happy ending. (laughs) The... I remember the the ending of Sleeping Beauty being really like scary and suspenseful and stressful as a kid, and it didn't last as long as I thought it would. Like I thought, first I thought she turned into a snake, and I think I'm remembering Aladdin when I think that. Um, and then I think I, I just remembered it going on forever. But it was a pretty quick battle, like, mm-hmm. and the fairies help him. They turn the the sword into something funky that like kind of takes on its own energy or something. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. Yeah. That's all I have. Sleeping Beauty. Do you have a scary scale, Natalie? Yeah. We kind of started talking about it. Um, um, I would say I'd give it a 7.5. Yeah, I would also, I'd probably do a seven. Um, there were definitely some scary moments, suspenseful moments. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think there were scary moments for sure, but I, um, I don't know. I feel like I had, I feel like in other past scary Disney movie moments, um, I knew that it was going to have a happy ending, but I like doubted how it was going to happen. Whereas this time, like I had full confidence in the fairies to figure it out. Um, and so that made it a little better, the suspense, I guess, of knowing that they have gotten this far and they will, they know Maleficent. Um, yeah. Yep. So every week we choose a favorite movie um, of all the ones we've watched so far. So today I am choosing, both of us are choosing between, right? The Lady and the Tramp and Sleeping Beauty. Um, Sarah, which one's your favorite? This is the first time that it's really hard. Um, Because basically I feel like I'm choosing between um, jock and trusty of Lady and the Tramp and the three fairies in Sleeping Beauty. Um, and, oh God, um, this is like the hardest decision I've ever had to make. Um, (laughs) um, um, I'm gonna, what would I rather watch again? I think I'd rather watch Sleeping Beauty again. So I'm gonna go Sleeping Beauty. All right. And what about you, Natalie? Um, I'm sticking with Lady and the Tramp. Okay. Um, Yeah, I've made my pledge. Um, Your pledge? Yeah, I said I'd, I'd probably stick with it until Fox and the Hound comes around. Oh, yeah. I'm feeling pretty good about that decision. I'm I'm open. Um, Maybe the Black Cauldron will surprise you. Maybe. Um, What's next? The Shaggy Dog, I think. Very excited. Mm -hmm. Um, Although maybe this is one of those things where I loved it as a kid and maybe it won't live up. Right. Yeah. So both of us have seen it. It's been a very, very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and this movie has less, less like 
just general cultural references for us. So I, even though I like all, most of these movies that I've seen before, I haven't seen in a long time, I could still tell you what they were about because the world loves them. Whereas Shaggy Dog, it's uh, there's a, boy, a Shaggy Dog, a sheep a boy, dog. A boy turns into a dog. Mm. I know that. Uh, huh? Like Freaky Friday. Like Freaky Friday. There's no trading. Oh. I don't think the dog does not become a boy. Mm. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that would be an entertaining uh, Freaky Friday, though. Yeah. Like, um, because the dog turned boy would be like, what do we do with these? these things and what fingers fingers and forks and clothes and um now you're just describing the little mermaid (laughs) uh you know dad has a a theory that every every single piece of music is a variation on go tell aunt roadie and i'm gonna say that every single movie is a variation on the little mermaid all right all right sounds good oh yeah uh, Pulp Fiction. I think you mean the Little Mermaid. It's just, it's just the Little Mermaid with cuss words. Sources. Okay. Um, <laughs> my sources this week were Wikipedia and um, an article in the Orlando Sentinel called "Original Story: A Sleeping Beauty Would Have Terrified Even Maleficent" by Stephen Ford. Um, and then we both referenced, um, this Reddit article, watching Sleeping Beauty. I always wonder what scums meant in this scene. So. Um, so I'm just laughing at you calling it an article. Um, okay. I don't know. I don't go on Reddit. What is it? A thread? It's a thread or like a, yeah. Um, I actually did not use Wikipedia this week. Um, I looked at it and it was boring. So um, I used WaltDisney.org for an article called Once Upon a Dream, The History of Sleeping Beauty Castle by Sophie Joe. Um, Returned to Tor.com for Mary Ness's review of Sleeping Beauty, as well as Lee Butler's article, How Sleeping Beauty is Accidentally the Most Feminist Animated Movie Disney Ever Made. And we'll be back next week with... Um, the shaggy dog and you can find us on facebook and twitter and instagram at wolf disney pod and you can email us at wolf disney podcast at gmail.com um you can check our twitter mentions for some um exegetical work from scott steadman on um the souls of animals and things like that some solid exegesis going on there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That's all. Scumps. Scumps. This has been Wolf Disney. Thanks for listening. Our theme song is Lamb and Wolf by Poddington Bear. See you next week.